This program is a production of the Reformed Forum, online at reformedforum.org. This is Reformed Classics, audio productions of classic Reformed works. Today we're continuing our presentation of John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, translated by Henry Beveridge. Book 1, Chapter 11, Sections 5 through 8. Section 5. Objection, that images are the books of the unlearned. Objection answered. 1. Scripture declares images to be teachers of vanity and lies. 6. Answer continued. 2. Ancient theologians condemn the formation and worship of idols. Section 7. Answer continued. 3. The use of images condemned by the luxury and meretricious ornaments given to them in popish churches. 4. The church must be trained in true piety by another method. And section 8. The second division of the chapter. Origin of idols or images. Its rise shortly after the flood. Its continual progress. Section 5. I am not ignorant, indeed, of the assertion, which is now more than threadbare, that images are the books of the unlearned. So said Gregory. But the Holy Spirit goes a very different decision. And had Gregory got his lesson on this matter in the Spirit's school, he never would have spoken as he did. For when Jeremiah declares that the stock is a doctrine of vanities, Jeremiah 10.8, and Habakkuk, that the molten image is a teacher of lies, the general doctrine to be inferred certainly is that everything respecting God which is learned from images is futile and false. If it is objected that the censure of the prophets is directed against those who perverted images to purposes of impious superstition, I admit it to be so. But I add what must be obvious to all— that the prophets utterly condemn what the papists hold to be an undoubted axiom, in the face that images are substitutes for books. For they contrast images with the true God, as if the two were of an opposite nature, and never could be made to agree. In the passages which I lately quoted, the conclusion drawn is that seeing there is one true God whom the Jews worshipped, Visible shapes made for the purpose of representing him are false and wicked fictions, and all, therefore, who have recourse to them for knowledge are miserably deceived. In short, were it not true that all such knowledge is fallacious and spurious, the prophets would not condemn it in such general terms. This at least I maintain, that when we teach that all human attempts to give a visible shape to God are vanity and lies, We do nothing more than state verbatim what the prophets taught. Section 6. Moreover, let Lactantius and Eusebius be read on this subject. These writers assume it as an indisputable fact that all the beings whose images were erected were originally men. In like manner, Augustine distinctly declares that it is unlawful not only to worship images, but to dedicate them. And in this he says no more than had been long before decreed by the Libertine Council, the 36th canon of which is, There must be no pictures used in churches. Let nothing which is adored or worshipped be painted on walls. 
But the most memorable passage of all is that which Augustine quotes in another place from Varro, and in which he expressly concurs, those who first introduced images of the gods both took away fear and brought in error. Were this merely the saying of Varro, it might perhaps be of little weight, though it might well make us ashamed, that a heathen, groping as it were in darkness, should have attained to such a degree of light as to see that corporeal images are unworthy of the majesty of God, and that because they diminish reverential fear and encourage error. The sentiment itself bears witness that it was uttered with no less truth than shrewdness, but Augustine, while he borrows it from Varro, adduces it as conveying his own opinion. At the outset, indeed, he declares that the first errors into which men fell concerning God did not originate with images, but increased with them, as if new fuel had been added. Afterwards, he explains how the fear of God was thereby extinguished or impaired, his presence being brought into contempt by foolish and childish and absurd representations. The truth of this latter remark I wish we did not so thoroughly experience. Whosoever, therefore, is desirous of being instructed in the true knowledge of God must apply to some other teacher than images. Section 7 Let papists, then, if they have any sense of shame, henceforth desist from the futile plea that images are the books of the unlearned, a plea so plainly refuted by innumerable passages of Scripture. And yet, were I to admit the plea, it would not be a valid defense of their peculiar idols. It is well known what kind of monsters they obtrude upon us as divine. For what are the pictures or statues to which they append the names of saints, but exhibitions of the most shameless luxury or obscenity? Were any one to dress himself after their model, he would deserve the pillory. Indeed, brothels exhibit their inmates more chastely and modestly dressed than the church's due images intended to represent virgins. The dress of the martyrs is in no respect more becoming. Let papists then have some little regard to decency in decking their idols, if they would give the least plausibility to the false allegation that they are books of some kind of sanctity. But even then we shall answer, that this is not the method in which the Christian people should be taught in sacred places. Very different from these follies is the doctrine in which God would have them to be there instructed. His injunction is that the doctrine common to all should there be set forth by the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments, a doctrine to which little heed can be given by those whose eyes are carried to and fro, gazing at idols and who are the unlearned, whose rudeness admits of being taught by images only. Just those whom the Lord acknowledges for his disciples, those whom he honors with a revelation of his celestial philosophy, and desires to be trained in the saving mysteries of his kingdom. I confess, indeed, as matters now are, there are not a few in the present day who cannot want such books. But I ask, whence this stupidity? but just because they are defrauded of the only doctrine which was fit to instruct them. The simple reason why those who had the charge of churches resigned the office of teaching to idols was because they themselves were dumb. 
Paul declares that by the true preaching of the gospel, Christ is portrayed and in a manner crucified before our eyes. Galatians 3.1 Of what use then were the erection in churches of so many crosses of wood and stone, silver and gold, if this doctrine were faithfully and honestly preached? Christ died that he might bear our curse upon the tree, that he might expiate our sins by the sacrifice of his body, wash them in his blood, and in short reconcile us to God the Father. From this one doctrine, the people would learn more than from a thousand crosses of wood and stone. As for crosses of gold and silver, it may be true that the avaricious give their eyes and minds to them more eagerly than to any heavenly instructor. Section 8. In regard to the origin of idols, the statement contained in the Book of Wisdom has been received with almost universal consent. They originated with those who bestowed this honor on the dead, from a superstitious regard to their memory. I admit that this perverse practice is of very high antiquity, and I deny not that it was a kind of torch by which the infatuated proneness of mankind to idolatry was kindled into a greater blaze. I do not, however, admit that it was the first origin of the practice, that idols were in use before the prevalence of that ambitious consecration of the images of the dead. Frequently adverted to by profane writers is evident from the words of Moses, Genesis thirty-one, nineteen. When he relates that Rachel stole her father's images, he speaks of the use of idols as a common vice. Hence we may infer that the human mind is, so to speak, a perpetual forge of idols. There was a kind of renewal of the world at the deluge, but before many years elapse, men are forging gods at will. There is reason to believe that in the holy patriarch's lifetime his grandchildren were given to idolatry so that he must with his own eyes, not without the deepest grief, have seen the earth polluted with idols, that earth whose iniquities God had lately purged with so fearful a judgment. For Joshua testifies, Joshua 24.2, at Torah and Nacor, even before the birth of Abraham, were the worshippers of false gods. The progeny of Shem, having so speedily revolted, what are we to think of the posterity of Ham, who had been cursed long before in their father? Thus indeed it is, the human mind, stuffed as it is with presumptuous rashness, dares to imagine a God suited to its own capacity, as it labors under dullness, nay, is sunk in the grossest ignorance, it substitutes vanity and an empty phantom in the place of God. To these evils another is added. The God whom man has thus conceived inwardly, he attempts to embody outwardly. The mind in this way conceives the idol, and the hand gives it birth. That idolatry has its origin in the idea which men have, that God is not present with them unless his presence is carnally exhibited, appears from the example of the Israelites. Up, said they, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wet not what is become of him. Exodus 22.1 They knew indeed that there was a God whose mighty power they had experienced in so many miracles. 
but they had no confidence of his being near to them. If they did not with their eyes behold a corporeal symbol of his presence, as an attestation to his actual government. They desired, therefore, to be assured by the image which went before them, that they were journeying under divine guidance, and daily experience shows that the flesh is always restless until it has obtained some figment like itself, with which it may vainly solace itself as a representation of God. In consequence of this blind passion men have, almost in all ages since the world began, set up signs on which they imagined that God was visibly depicted to their eyes. (laughs) 